0: This is Healthcare Strategies.
1: This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Intelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies.
0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. This is Kyle Murphy, Vice President of Editorial at Acceligent Healthcare Media, and today I'm joined by our Director of Research, Emily Sokol, to discuss our latest findings from the annual value-based care assessment. To learn more, visit AcceligentMedia.com forward slash insights. So it's hard to believe that a year and a half has passed since our first value-based care assessment, so Emily, start off with a quick question to you. What do you feel are the key findings from this year's survey?
1: Thanks, Kyle. We had three key findings in this year's value-based care assessment 2020. Uh, The first was that the healthcare industry is still heavily relying on fee-for-service reimbursement. We're seeing a slight trend towards more value-based reimbursement, but we're still very heavily in a fee-for-service world. The second key finding of the report this year was that hospitals and health systems are really the best equipped for these value-based care contracts. So those non-affiliated physician practices or small, non-traditional healthcare facilities are stuck more in a fee-for-service world and could really use the support of these larger organizations to help break through and start moving in the right direction. And the last one was the impact of COVID-19 on value-based care. We saw that the pandemic has really slowed value-based care conversations. And it leaves many wondering when things are going to return to pre-pandemic levels. We were such in a response mode that we weren't really in an innovation mode. And the industry is really wondering when those innovations will recommence.
0: What were your expectations heading into the survey? Were you expecting certain results that you didn't find? Were there some results that you found surprising?
1: So I wasn't surprised really in the slow rate of movement. I think change in the healthcare industry, as we all know pretty well, takes, takes a while. We saw a slight decline in the reliance organizations had on fee-for-service reimbursement. So in 2019, about 48% of all of our respondents, which were provider organizations and payers within the healthcare industry, uh, about 48% of them said that a majority of their revenue, so over 76%, was reliant on fee-for-service reimbursement. That declined a little bit in 2020 as we saw the same response for only 40%, still not a huge jump, but a slow trend in the right direction, which I think is is what I was anticipating, especially because of the pandemic, I wasn't expecting a huge turn or a huge change in that. We also saw, though, overall some general increases in participation in value-based care. So in 2019, we had 57% of respondents saying that they were participating in any sort of value-based care model, whether that be bundle payments, decapitation, anything that we categorized as value-based care, and these alternative payment models that aren't fee for service-based. That number rose slightly to 61% in 2020. Again, not a huge jump, but a trend in the right direction. What we're still seeing is that hospitals are really leading the way as 84% of them compared to 51% of physician groups say that they're participating in value-based care. So when we break down those numbers from 2020 of who's participating, a vast majority are hospitals. And that ties back to our second key finding that hospitals and health systems are really the best equipped. They have the financial resources. They have the market share. They have the patient population to really make a statement and make the partnerships with payers in order to have successful contracts, more so than smaller non-affiliate physician practices. And that's not to say that these physician practices can't do it. We're just seeing a very big difference in the reliance. You know, you have 84% compared to 51% hospitals, physician practices. That's a, that's a huge difference. And that really hinges on you know, the resources, uh, market share and availability they have to negotiate these agreements.
0: All right, so let's talk COVID-19 specific to value-based care. Was it a good, or a bad thing, or was it neutral for, for value-based care? The pandemic that obviously disrupted healthcare, changed business strategies, changed people's access to care. You know, Were you surprised by any of the findings in terms of COVID-19's impact?
1: Yeah, so I hate the phrase that COVID-19 has been a silver lining for the industry in many ways, but I think in terms of value-based care, uh, we really are seeing that. It's It was really unsurprising that a lot of organizations were impacted their value-based care contracts were impacted by COVID-19. We saw over 58% of the survey respondents said in some aspect, their value-based care negotiations have been impacted by the pandemic. Most of those said that their negotiations were, were declining, and that's not surprising. The industry was trying to tackle the immediacy of the pandemic and the increased patient volume, the need for testing, the need for vaccinations, that you know, innovative payment models were not top of mind, rightfully so. In the survey, we broke down sort of three key areas of organizational response that were really impacted by the pandemic. And that was revenue levels, patient volume, and operational performance. And in all three of those areas, we asked our respondents to predict when they thought those levels would stabilize to pre-pandemic levels. And it's pretty unsurprising that there's a lot of uncertainty across the board. There was the most confidence in patient volume and operational performance returning to normal more quickly within the next six months compared to revenue levels. And I think part of that hinges on, you know, the positivity that we're seeing in vaccination trends and the world starting to reopen patients are feeling more comfortable coming into the physician office, but reimbursement is still really up in the air. We saw, for example, with telehealth sort of an immediate response, but there's so much uncertainty with how lawmakers and reimbursement is going to match telehealth moving forward and what role it's going to play, that there's a lot more uncertainty. Patients are going to need to come in. Patient volume is going to get back to normal and and level off. But when the revenue levels return to pre-pandemic levels is really unknown because of the uncertainty of a lot of these reimbursement models. Another thing that we looked at in regard to COVID 19 was the impact of furloughed staff, because that was also, I think, something that was very important. You know, a lot of individuals were, were furloughed, laid off, lost their jobs throughout the, throughout the pandemic. And we found that the impact of these furloughed staff was really on care access and coordination and, and value based care negotiations. So the staff that was furloughed were really the ones who were making sort of the innovations in in value-based care were some of the first deferred, which is unfortunate.
0: Did a public health crisis highlight the limitations of a fee-for-service world? So in other words, could value-based care have helped providers better weather the storm that came along with a dramatic dip in volume, which is essential for -for fee-for-service.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So in addition to the reporting that we do in our insights reports, we also do qualitative follow-up with survey respondents. And there's one quote that I think really hits the nail on the head with this question, Kyle, and that's, we had one of the chief operating officers at a community oncology practice said, during the beginning of COVID, we weren't worried about value-based care. We were just worried about getting patients cared for these contracts can provide value to payers, but is it value for the patient and is it valuable to me? And I think that quote one highlights the point that I had said at the beginning about the immediacy of tackling the pandemic left innovative payment models to really fall to the wayside. It also really highlights the need for payers and providers to work together. You know, a lot of the value-based care models that we saw in terms of something like a pay for performance model didn't really fit into a pandemic world when patients weren't coming in as regularly, when you didn't have continued screening and you know care was really focused on the immediate need. I think those payers who found themselves in more advanced value-based care models like capitated payments were very pleased that they were in them as there was really a certainty in revenue and you weren't tied up with all of the uncertainty of policy and regulations around telehealth and telehealth reimbursement as the industry started to move more in in that direction. So I think the pandemic has really highlighted that the more advanced value-based care models are really going to help deal with uncertainty. Whereas a lot of the other ones, unless you have a provider organization has a great relationship with their payers and able to bend and negotiate those agreements, it's going to be a very challenging To innovate during a time of uncertainty.
0: During the pandemic, a lot of patients opted to forego care for safety reasons, other reasons, a lack of the ability to afford their care, access it. The question I have for you is considering how much of value-based care adheres to population health principles, because how valuable is it going to be to mitigating a lot of the care gaps and probably the increases in health risk to certain populations who Maybe we're in lower risk categories, but likely jumped up one, maybe two over the course of a year.
1: So the CDC actually came out with data on delayed care thing about four in 10 individuals delayed care throughout the pandemic. And I think that speaks to how important population health management and a real focus on prevention are going to be moving forward. You know, obviously we need to still tackle the immediacy of the pandemic and vaccination efforts, but I think the next phase in returning to normalcy is really going to work on, is going to have to work on getting patients engaged in preventative care and focusing on getting those screenings done, you know, managing chronic conditions, catching things early, because without that we're going to be hit in a few years with all of the impact of that delayed care from a a patient outcome perspective and from a cost perspective on the healthcare system.
0: So the million-dollar question is, what's next for Insights? What other reports are you working on? What can readers expect in the coming months?
1: So we have a lot of things coming up. The next report that will be coming out is on challenges to patient experience and overcoming those challenges. We surveyed provider organizations, similar to the conversation we were just having about preventative health and focusing on population health and how organizations are really getting patients engaged in, in care. And then, just to hint at a couple of other of the topics we have coming up, we're looking at the transformation of senior care due to the pandemic. I think uh, the sixty-five plus population we know was at particular risk for COVID nineteen so We're trying to examine how care to that population has really transformed over time. We're also looking at we're also looking at M health and telehealth strategies. Obviously, that's played a critical role in the COVID-19 response. So we want to learn how organizations are tackling these new technologies and how they're going to be integrated now more into this hybrid world that we're increasingly finding ourselves in. And the forthcoming report is on policy and regulation. So again, circling back to the importance of these regulatory uh, conversations, how it impacts payers and how payers are sort of thinking through this changing regulatory environment to do things like value-based care and have effective value-based care contracts.
0: So Emily, tell me a little about this data insights thing that you've been working on.
1: So Data Insights is an offshoot of the larger Insights brand. What we at Excelligent Healthcare Media have learned is that there's a ton of publicly available data out there that we can analyze to drive decision-making. So what we're trying to do is use the information that's out there and available and analyze it in order to give best practices to, to key stakeholders in the industry. So the reports thus far have looked at everything from provider relief funding and how that was allocated to medically underserved areas to flu vaccine patterns and how that can be used as a stepping stone as the industry is tackling how to best disseminate COVID-19 vaccines.
0: And uh, where can folks go to learn more about it?
1: So our data insights, a brief of them is available at intelligentmedia.com forward slash insights.
0: So if people had questions um, about the research, where could they reach out to you?
1: You can contact me at insights at extelligentmedia.com.
0: Well, Emily, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Really enjoyed your company today. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Likewise, Kyle. Thank you.
0: That concludes today's episode. A reminder to send questions or comments to podcast at extelligentmedia.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you and goodbye. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production